As we prepare to open God's word, let's, uh, let's pray and ask that he would bless that word to us. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you uh, have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me in the book of Zechariah. We'll be considering Zechariah chapter 4 as our uh, sermon text this morning. And in the evenings for the past uh, month or so, I've had the uh, wonderful opportunity of going through, uh, beginning to go through the book of Zechariah. So we've made it uh, up to uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah is almost all the way to the end of the Old Testament. So if you reach Matthew, you've gone just slightly too far. Zechariah chapter 4. We'll be reading the entirety of the chapter and pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Zechariah writes, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth." Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered, and I I said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, as we uh, come now to the halfway point of Zechariah's visions, uh, and since I've been uh, doing Zechariah in the evenings thus far, I thought it might be helpful to begin with a little bit of context, a little bit of a reminder of uh, Zechariah's situation and uh, in which he was prophesying. 
Uh, he's prophesying to the uh, post-exilic community, this uh, group of Judeans who have returned from exile in Babylon. Uh, if, you, uh, if you remember in, uh, in First and Second Kings, uh, the Babylonians came against, uh, as, as God's covenant pun- punishment against uh, the land of Judah. They uh, destroyed that city, destroyed the walls and the temple and the palace. This was in the year 586 B.C., And uh, about 40 years or so later, the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and so the Judeans were now under Persian rule, and they had a slightly different policy than the the Babylonians. They they opted to uh, try to uh, appease these conquered nations, and so they did this with the Judeans. They offered to send them back to their homeland of Judah and to uh, fund the rebuilding of their temple. And so in the year uh, 538 B.C., uh, a group of Judeans went back to uh, the land of Judah and began to rebuild the temple. Uh, They they did not get very far, and so as we come to the beginning of the book of Zechariah, it's now the year 520, so 18 years after the beginning of the uh, building of the temple, and the prophets Zechariah and Haggai, God raised up these prophets to encourage the people to finally finish rebuilding the temple. They had only barely made a start years earlier. And so now Zechariah and Haggai come to the people and say, now is the time to rebuild, to rebuild the temple, um, to finish the, this, this project. The section of uh, Zechariah that we're in right now that, uh, that runs from uh, toward the beginning of chapter 1 until the end of chapter 6 is a series of eight visions that, uh, that Zechariah has, that the Lord uh, shows to Zechariah. Eight, uh, eight visions that are really providing encouragement and explanation for what it means that the, that the temple is being rebuilt, what a rebuilt temple means for, for God's people. The, the visions are really about God's presence returning to dwell with his people, about, uh, about the salvation which God is bringing to his people. And this morning, we uh, come to a new vision, the fifth of Zechariah's eight visions. So we're just past the halfway point in this, in this series of visions. This is his fifth of, of eight and so we read in verse 1, as we often read at the beginning of, of the visions, there's, there's always an indication that this is a new vision, and here we have uh, such an indication in verse 1. And the angel who talked with me, so this is an angel we see in many of Zechariah's visions, often called the interpreting angel, who explains and interprets uh, aspects of the visions to Zechariah. This angel came and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. So we have now a new vision, a new vivid depiction of God's salvation, which he is bringing to his people. And the promise of this vision, very simply, is that the temple will be rebuilt by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. That's what this vision is about. And we really see in this passage, in in Zechariah chapter 4, three aspects, three interrelated aspects of the work of God's Spirit in rebuilding the temple. We see first toppled opposition, toppled, knocked over, toppled opposition. Then we see total presence, and we finally see transforming mission. So those will be our three points for this morning, the three aspects of the Holy Spirit's work that we see in this passage. Toppled opposition, total presence, and transforming mission. So we'll begin by thinking about the toppled opposition in this passage. 
Uh, this chapter begins and ends, um, you may have noticed that the flow of the chapter is a little bit odd in some ways. It begins and ends with this vision of a lampstand and of, of two olive trees, one to the right and one to the left of the lampstand. Um, but in the very middle of the chapter, in verses 6 through 10, we get this kind of sudden intrusion, this sudden interruption into the vision, which may at first uh, seem a little awkward, which may uh, jump out as kind, of a, as kind of a strange interruption into the middle of this vision that Zechariah is having. Um, but really what, uh, what the function of that is, is Zechariah is drawing our attention to that middle section He wants to highlight the material in that middle section. That's where we find the main point of this vision. And so that's where we'll begin uh, by thinking about those middle verses of this passage. This is where we find the the main point. And really, we find it in verse 6. Excuse me. uh, Yeah, verse 6. But we begin, he says, This is the word of the Lord to, to Zerubbabel. So last chapter, we met Joshua, who's the high priest. He's one of the Uh, He's one of the two leaders of this community that's returned, one of the two people God has tasked with uh, leading this temple rebuilding project. And now we we meet the other one, a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Now, uh, what's important to know about Zerubbabel is that he is the grandson of one of the last, uh, last kings of Judah, King Jehoiachin. And so he's from the line of David. He's a Davidic descendant. And the Persians have appointed him as governor over this province of Judah that they, that they control. Um, he is, uh, he's probably appointed by them, this Davidic descendant, for the same reason they, uh, they allowed them to rebuild the temple, to try to appease this people, to try to keep them happy because they're uh, in an important uh, part of their empire, right on the edge. But Zerubbabel is not the king. He's a descendant of David, but he's not the king. He has significantly less power, as we'll see in this passage. He's, he's in charge of, uh, of collecting taxes, of administering the province, of making sure things run smoothly, reporting to the Persians, but he certainly is not, uh, not the king by any means. Um, but we see in this chapter that like Joshua, we saw Joshua last chapter, was given these uh, somewhat increased responsibilities that were usually associated with kings and prophets to help fill the gap that was left by the lack of a king in this, uh, in this uh, situation, that there is no king in the land. And Zerubbabel too here, we'll see, is, uh, is helping to fill the gap that's left by having no king. You need a king to rebuild a temple. We, uh, we see this connection made for us in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as, uh, as the Lord makes a covenant with David and says it will be the righteous king who will build uh, my temple. And so you need a king to build a temple, and Zerubbabel, as a descendant of David, is kind of the next best thing. So he's, uh, he is uh, leading this temple-building project. And Zechariah here is given a word from God for him, a word from God for this Davidic descendant, for the leader of the temple rebuilding project. And here in verse 6 is uh, the, the word to Zerubbabel, the fundamental message of this passage, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, not by military might, not by having a strong army, not by having a formidable uh, force behind him, not by force of any kind will the temple be rebuilt. And so don't put your trust in them, the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel. Uh, This is not, uh, we, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah, especially about opposition, various types of opposition that came against the temple building project. 
And normally, before the exile, uh, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, would have come out and destroyed that opposition by force. And now, the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel, uh, this is not how you are to handle that situation anymore in this, in this context. You're in a different situation. Probably a lot of the people in uh, Judah wanted to fight back. They wanted to destroy these enemies of God. They wanted to form a military and set up a king and so forth. But they were small and weak. They didn't have a king. They didn't have a military. And the Lord is saying they, they shouldn't. They shouldn't seek to destroy these, this opposition by force. By my spirit, he says. Uh, they need to relearn, learn to rely on the power of God's spirit to rebuild the temple. And I think uh, if we, if we uh, take a hard look at ourselves in this mirror that we find in the, in the Israelites, we may have a similar temptation at times to rely on our own uh, abilities or strength or talents uh, in, and rely on our own might. When we face uh, bad news, when we face struggles, a lost job, a broken relationship, how often is our reaction to think to ourselves, I got this, I can fix this, rather than seeking the help and wisdom of God's Spirit, first and foremost. When we sin, when we uh, struggle, maybe with a particular sin, how often is our reaction to that, "I, I am able in my own strength to resist this temptation. I'm able in my own strength to overcome this sin rather than going to our knees, praying for the help of God's Spirit, His strength to overcome that sin. We face the exact same temptation and struggles as these Judeans did. And this passage is encouraging Zerubbabel, encouraging the Judeans whom he's leading, and it's encouraging us not to rely on our own strength, not to rely on our own motivation or abilities, but to rely on the Spirit of God because he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And that's the promise uh, through Zechariah to Zerubbabel that the Spirit will accomplish this work, that he is able to accomplish this work. In verse 7, we read, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And then skipping down to verses 9 and 10, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So he's promising. God is promising. Through Zechariah, the temple will be finished under Zerubbabel. His hands have laid the foundation. His hands will also complete the temple. The Spirit of God is able to make a mountain, all the opposition that has come up against Zerubbabel, any kind of opposition, which may seem like an ominous mountain in front of him, to make that look like a plain, to turn that opposition into a plain. He is powerful to do that, to completely remove all the opposition before him. And when the temple work is completed, this is what the, that top stone and that plumb line signify, the completion of the temple work, the people will rejoice, grace, grace to it, they'll say, because they see God's gracious hand in this work. They see his blessing. It's evident that God is blessing this project. And even those who despise the day of small things, right? We read about those who despise the day of small things, even the skeptics, in other words, Those who thought to themselves, without a king, without a military, will never be able to complete this project. God's not able to do this without setting up those things in our land. 
that we'll never return to the former glory that we had under David and under Solomon. Even the skeptics will rejoice when they see the completion of this work. They will know that God's hand was in it. And this is great encouragement for us today, isn't it? To rely on the Spirit of God. We're in a day of small things like like Judah was then. Our Lord is absent from us, and being a Christian in this world usually comes along with very little acclaim and glory. Faithfulness to God often uh, seems pointless to us, I think. It's tempting to be a skeptic, isn't it? To think to ourselves, is Christ ever returning? Is he ever going to come back and make things right? Is there ever going to be a time of glory in the new heavens and the new earth? But this is a wonderful reminder for us that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God who ensured the completion of this temple, who toppled all the opposition, all the opposition that stood against Zerubbabel and the people of Judea, that same Spirit dwells in us. He's able to topple all opposition to God's perfect and righteous will for our lives. And this Spirit makes God present to us even now. And that brings us to our second point, total presence. Really, this idea of total presence comes out through the vision that we find at the beginning and the end of this chapter. And, uh, and what does Zechariah see? Well, the angel asks him this. He asks him, what do you see? And Zechariah describes what he sees. He gives kind of this very technical description of, of what he sees. I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. So what he's seeing here, a golden lampstand, he says he sees. In other words, a menorah. He sees a golden menorah. And where is the only other place in Scripture that we read about a golden lampstand, a golden menorah? Well, it's in the holy place, in the tabernacle, and the temple. So that's where Zechariah is in this vision. He's in the holy place. He's, he's beholding this wonderful vision in the holy place, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And in the tabernacle, the menorah was across from the table of showbread. There were on the table 12 loaves of bread for the 12 tribes of Israel. And Aaron was told, make sure that the seven lights from the menorah shine onto that table of showbread, shine onto the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a vivid picture of God's face shining on his people, of, his, of God turned toward his people, of his favor being upon them. Of, of, uh, it's a, it's a really a visual depiction of, of the uh, blessing of Aaron from Numbers 6, when he says, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That's what the menorah represents, God's face shining on his people and blessing. And this menorah in Zechariah has the same symbolism. God turned toward his people, his face shining on them in blessing. But this menorah is even a more impressive one than the one uh, that was in the tabernacle or in the temple. There's a bowl on top of the lampstand, we're told. This bowl is probably for holding the fuel, for holding the olive oil that would have been used to fuel uh, the lamps. And on top of that bowl, you can imagine around the rim of the bowl, seven lamps, and each of them have seven lips. In other words, seven, uh, seven um, places to hold wicks. So each of these lamps, there's seven lamps, there's seven places for wicks on each of these lamps. So there's a total of 49 lights on this menorah, seven times seven lights on this. And you can imagine as the angel shook Zechariah awake and he looked up and he beheld this lampstand with 49 blazing lights, how awesome 
that must have been in this vision. There were seven lights on the uh, menorah in the tabernacle, but now he sees seven times seven lights on this menorah in his vision. A wonderful, a majestic, and awesome sight that Zechariah beholds here. An incredible picture of God's total presence with his people through the Spirit. A greater presence of God than, than ever before. Now flanking the menorah, we read in verse 3, on either side of the menorah, there's two olive trees, one on the right and one on the left. And so Zechariah, as he often does, asks about these. What are these olive trees? What, are, what is this menorah and what are these olive trees? And he doesn't get an answer until after that middle section that we, that we already talked about, until after that word to Zerubbabel. He, doesn't, he gets his answer right after that in the second half of verse 10. And the angel tells him what these lights are, these seven lights that each have seven wicks. The angel tells him uh, what, these, what these are. He says, these are the seven eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. So these seven lamps with seven, uh, light, with seven wicks each are the Lord's all-seeing eyes. They, they symbolize the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. And yet he's in his temple. This all-seeing and all-knowing God dwells with his people in a special way, that his eyes are turned toward his people in a special way. He is in their midst. The God who, who sees and knows everything, the all-seeing, all-knowing God, is in their midst through his Spirit. And in verses 11 to 14, we find out what the olive trees are. So we found out these lamps, what those symbolize. And now, verses 11 through 14, what are the olive trees? Zechariah asks, asks twice what these are. In verses 11 and 12, what are these olive trees? And he says in verse 12, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured? So it seems what he's describing is that there are two pipes that are connecting the olive trees to the bowl of this, of this menorah. In other words, that there is a constant flow of oil coming from these olive trees into the menorah, that, there, that this is a menorah, in other words, that can never go out. It can never run out of fuel, this menorah, because there are pipes that connect it to olive trees, which provide a constant flow of golden oil into this uh, to light the lamps. The menorah before the exile, before the Babylonians came, before God sent them against his people in judgment, that menorah was extinguished. God turned his face away from his people in judgment. The light went out. Uh, God's, it, was a, it was a vivid depiction, just like this is of the opposite. It was a vivid depiction of, God, of God's wrath against his people, of his face turned away from them, of his judgment against them. And yet what we see is a menorah where this can't happen, where the, where the light of God's presence cannot go out because there's a continual flow of oil into it. Again, this is, this is, a, this is a vivid representation that God's, that God's presence, that his favor will return to his people more fully than ever before, never to depart. So who are these olive trees? Who are the ones who are providing this constant flow of oil, this constant supply of oil to light uh, God's presence among his people? Well, in verse 14, the last verse of the passage, the angel tells Zechariah who these are. These are the anointed ones, he says, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. There's two anointed ones. In other words, uh, this is, we saw last chapter, the high priest Joshua, and now this chapter, Zerubbabel. Joshua and Zerubbabel are these ones who are standing next to the Lord of all the earth. 
They're the ones who are God's spirit-filled leaders during this period of, of redemptive history, bringing God's presence to God's people in the power of the Spirit, by leading his people in rebuilding the temple, by, uh, by administering justice, by uh, declaring to them the will of God, by, uh, by maintaining the temple system. But it's not only those two men in particular. There's no names that are given for these two anointed ones, these two sons of oil you'll see in your footnote is what they're, is what they're literally called, these two anointed ones. And so really, uh, they represent more, more than two specific people, two offices, the offices of priest and king, those spirit-filled offices of priest and king who stand before the Lord, who, uh, who bring God's presence to God's people in the power of the Spirit. So this vision, like those words to Zerubbabel that we saw in the middle of the chapter, is again a promise to the returned exiles that God will once again dwell in their midst, that the temple will be rebuilt, that he will dwell in the holy place. The menorah will again be lit, will shine upon them. And there's an even greater presence of God coming a presence which can never be extinguished. Because these anointed ones, these ones who stand by the Lord, these ones who provide a continual supply of oil to the menorah, really look forward to our spirit-filled, our anointed priest and king, our Lord Jesus Christ, who brought the total presence of God in the power of the Spirit to his people. His whole ministry was accomplished through the Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As we confess in the Apostles' Creed, he was anointed by the Spirit. He was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. He, was, he cast out demons by the Spirit, raised the dead by the Spirit, offered himself by the Spirit, was resurrected by the Spirit. And because of Christ's Spirit-filled work, the menorah of God's presence shining on his people, his favor shining on them can never run out of fuel as it did in the exile. Because by faith his people are clothed, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so despite our sin, God looks upon us with favor. His face shines on us, not in wrath, but in love and in mercy. And through the Spirit, this presence of God in mercy and love is with us even now. We read that in Romans 5, didn't we? That God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit whom he has given us. That Spirit who is indwelling us, comforting us, strengthening us, enlightening us, providing for us, and who is transforming a people for Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our third and final point, the transforming mission of the Spirit. The promise of this passage, as I've as I've mentioned a couple times uh, for the Judeans, is that through the Spirit's empowering of their leaders, that the temple will be rebuilt and that God's presence and his favor will once again shine forth from that place. But as we already get some foreshadowing of this in this passage, the, uh, the light of God's presence was never ultimately meant to be confined to that temple in Jerusalem. Notice uh, the second half of verse 10, the second half of verse 14. The eyes of the Lord range through the whole earth, he says. The anointed ones stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The Lord is the Lord of the whole earth. Ultimately, the transforming mission of the Spirit that's foreshadowed in this vision 
is a whole earth mission. That's what Christ said to his disciples, isn't it? As he stood clothed with all power and authority after his resurrection, he said, go make disciples of all nations. It's a whole earth mission, this transforming mission of the Spirit. And so this vision is ultimately about the Spirit's mission in building the temple of the new creation, a temple made of people from every tribe and nation and tongue who call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. This is the temple that's ultimately promised by this vision that will be completed in the strength of the Holy Spirit and by his power, a people who are transformed and renewed by the word and spirit of Jesus Christ, a people who, among whom the total presence of God dwells. The Holy Spirit is able and he does topple all opposition to the building of this temple, all opposition to the gospel going forth in power. Governments who oppose that gospel going forth, people who mock and persecute that gospel, even the weakness of the preacher, the Spirit overcomes uh, in his might. The Spirit can use weak instruments to accomplish his purposes in building this temple all over the world. He conquers the opposition. He topples the opposition from our own hearts. The sin that still clings to us is overcome by the power of the Spirit as he makes God present in us and with us, as he sanctifies us and conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ, as he transforms us to love what God loves and to desire what he desires, to desire his perfect and holy will. So as the church, we can have confidence that the Spirit will accomplish God's purposes, his transforming mission through us. We're called to shine the light of God's presence into this dark world through the word and the spirit of Christ. We're called to struggle against our own sin every day in reliance on the power of the spirit. We're in the day of small things, brothers and sisters. We are in uh, a day when gospel preaching as the medium God has chosen for his uh, word to go forth, for his kingdom to advance, may seem often weak and ineffective as faithfulness to God may seem often pointless, as the church may seem often small and powerless. But the promise of this vision is that the Spirit will build his temple and that we do already and will even more recognize God's grace, his mighty working, his love and his mercy on us in this, in this, uh, in this work. Even the skeptics, even the doubters, will recognize, will rejoice at this incredible work that God has and will continue and will consummate through his spirit. So as we close for today, let us give thanks for this great work of God, this great work of God's spirit in our world and in our hearts. Let us pray that this temple, the temple of people from every nation and tribe and language will be finished soon and Christ will return, that all his sheep will be gathered in soon. And until then, let us trust that God's Spirit will accomplish this transforming mission, that God's Word will go forth in power, that it will accomplish through the Spirit all that he sets out for it. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the work of your Spirit in the world. Thank you that through Christ's great and finished work, his life and his death for us, He has won for us the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you that your spirit is able to topple all opposition, that he is with us, making you present to us even now, and that because he is able to accomplish his transforming mission, building a temple of people from the whole earth who call upon the name of your son, Jesus Christ. May we seek to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ forth into this dark world and continue to struggle against the sin in our own lives, trusting in the power of your spirit to accomplish this great transforming work. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.